great music to bring us to this point this morning. Bye-bye. So it's good to have those of you, obviously, that uh, are here this morning to join with us as we study God's Word. And for those that are perhaps listening or watching via the Internet, you, we do welcome you. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And if you don't have Bibles with you, there are pew Bibles, and we want you to follow along. So... Um, the passage is located on page 1014. Please bear that in mind. And for those of you, it may be the first time that you're here or tuning in, listening to us, whatever. We do preach and teach expositionally at Flat Creek, which generally means we just take a, a book of the Bible and we begin in verse 1 and preach to through the Bible, through the uh, chapter, to the end of the book. It is perhaps, or at least in my opinion, it's the best way to study the Bible. Um, topics sometimes are very good. We're going to look at a uh, take out of the text this morning, a, a topic that we're going to really drill down into on the royal priesthood. But it also helps us to understand the overall biblical theology from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22. So... That's a little bit of, the, of our focus on the Word of God. I'm going to read two verses this morning. Uh, actually, three verses. Verses 4 and 5 and verse 9. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by God, but, uh, by men rather, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of his darkness into his marvelous light. May the Lord Jesus bless the reading of his word this morning in our hearing as we go to his throne of grace, asking him to prepare our hearts. We've just sung a chorus that uh, God would reveal our pride and prepare our hearts to receive, to receive his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the promises contained in your word, and we've read them this morning. As believers, we have four distinct blessings, four distinct privileges that you have provided to us because of our elder brother, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Reveal him to us this morning and make us into royal priests. In Jesus' name we make this prayer. Amen. 1967, a man by the name of Doug Nichols was the director of 
at that time was the director of Action International Ministries, and he contracted TB, tuberculosis, in India. And so they placed him in a sanatorium there in India, and he was there for a number of months. He did survive, but he was there for a number of months. He took with him, when he went to the sanatorium, uh, gospel tracts that included the Gospel of John, and he tried to give them away. Most of the folks that were in the sanatorium were um, Indian, but they rejected because in their way of thinking, he was just a rich American. And this is a sidebar, but if you've ever traveled overseas, you will find that regardless of your monetary station, your economical station here in America, when you travel overseas, they consider every American to be wealthy. So here was a missionary that they considered to be wealthy. They would not take copies of the Gospel of John from him. Several nights, as if on cue, he would wake up with severe coughing about 2 a.m. And one morning he noticed there was an old emaciated man trying to get out of bed on the other side of the room. And the man couldn't stand up and he began to whimper. He lay back down in his bed and he soiled the bed. In the morning the stench was terrible and everyone in that particular area was angry at the old man. In fact, his nurse, who cleaned him up, even smacked him. The next night, Doug woke up coughing, and he saw the old man again trying to get out of bed and then lying back again and beginning to cry softly. Well, this time, Doug got out of bed and went over picked up the old man, and took him over to the toilet, which was just a hole in the floor. And after the old man finished, he cleaned him up, took him back to his bed, laid him in his bed. The old man kissed him. Doug went back to his bed, fell asleep. Well, about four o'clock that morning, which was the time that most people started to uh, awake and to rise. One of the other patients in the sanatorium brought Doug a steaming hot glass of tea, cup of tea. And he motioned for Doug to give him a copy of the Gospel of John, which he did. All through that next day, The patients, those that were able, would come to him and ask for a copy of the Gospel of John. When Peter writes about spiritual sacrifices, Doug Nichols is an example. When Peter writes about a royal priesthood, when he writes about a holy priesthood, Doug Nichols is an example. We are far too antiseptic in this country. And we're going to see that this morning as we journey back to Leviticus chapter 8 and learn why God intended for the entire congregation 
to watch and be part of a sacrificial system that was bloody from the beginning to the end. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. That means that he is the one that was the beginning of our salvation and sees it all the way through. We should praise him for that. First slide, if you would, brother. We have been focusing on the four privileges here in, in verse 9. And Peter has listed them as uh, we're chosen generation. We are looking at a royal priesthood. And we'll bring ro royal priesthood, holy nation, and special people all to uh, a climax this morning. The royal priesthood that Peter talks about, and again we mentioned this to you over the past couple of sun Sundays, one of the cardinal principles of the Reformation was the rediscovery of the priesthood of all believers. And we have defined that as the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers states that all believers in Christ share in his priestly status. We're going to learn that this morning. Therefore, there is no special class of people who mediate the knowledge, the presence, and the forgiveness of Christ to the rest of believers. I am your pastor, but I am not your high priest. I don't have the authority, neither do I have the gift or the grace of God to be a mediator. And we'll see that this morning. We, uh, we have a special class of people who mediate the knowledge, presence, and forgiveness of Christ to the rest of believers. That's one of the reasons for the importance of the church. And all believers have the right and authority to read, interpret, and apply the teachings of Scripture. Now, we define this further and just to mention it again this morning, this does not mean that you can lift Scripture out of context and build an entire theology on it. We must follow the orthodox and the historical understanding of the Christian faith over the past 2,000 years. Yeah, in fact, the past 4,000 years if we go back to the Old Testament. There are three primary characteristics of a royal priesthood. And we looked at... Uh, uh, one of these, last Sunday morning, closed out the message. The first is access. The second one that we are looking at here, and we will look at this morning, is purity. And the third one is service. Now, we talked about Doug Nichols. Part of being a priest is service. And that's what we see here. See in his life, and we should see in our lives. So the first point here is the Old Testament priests and believers do have access to Yahweh or access to God because of the chief cornerstone. And again, we examined that last Sunday morning. I reminded you, Israel was a chosen people, but Israel was not a choice people. In fact, we'll see as we uh, move to Leviticus 8, it talks about the tribe of Levi. We learned last Sunday morning that Levite, the Levites were thieves. So God chose a tribe of thieves to be priests because of grace. Next slide. This morning, because of Christ, we are purified of sin. If you're here this morning and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, I would like to remind you, in fact, I would encourage you to understand that Jesus did die for the sins of the world, according to the Scriptures, was buried, rose again the third day. 
but if you have not appropriated what he did. In other words, you have not humbled yourself before the mighty hand of God, repented of your sins, and asked him in faith to save you, you're not purified of sin. There is a responsibility we have to answer the call of God. Now turn with me back to Leviticus chapter 8. Leviticus chapter 8. We're studying the book of Exodus on Sunday evening. Uh, as it, uh, We're in the first part of it, of course, but the book of Exodus records not only the exodus of the Hebrew people from Egypt uh, toward the promised land, but at, toward the end of the book of Exodus, there's quite a bit of ceremony and uh, tradition and instruction as God instructs his people how to worship. We don't know how to worship. God instructs his people how to worship. All we need to do is go back to Genesis chapter 3, and we learn there that Adam and Eve did the very human thing after they sinned. They ran from God. Then God instructed them how to worship. He killed an animal, made skins for them, and taught them the sacrificial system. So this predates Moses. It predates what we have here in the book of Leviticus. It is as old as humankind. And it's one of the great uh, opportunities we have to learn. Now, I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but we're going to cherry pick back and forth. It's a lengthy chapter. But I do want to read uh, uh, the first uh, nine verses. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him and the garments, the anointing oil and a bull as a sin offering, two rams and a basket of unleavened bread. And gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is what the Lord commanded to be done. Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the tunic on him, and he girded him with the sash. He clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him. And he girded him with the intricately woven band of the ephod, and with it tied the ephod on him. Then he put the breastplate on him, and he put the urim and the thummim in the breastplate. And he put the turban on his head, and also on the turban on its front, he put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded, had commanded Moses. A lot of ceremony, a lot of tradition, and a lot of times we want to push tradition aside. But there's a reason for each and everything that we see. Now, the second reason that we are blessed as being royal priesthoods is because we are purified. And one of the first things that Moses did in verse 6, he says, Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. In order for us to be purified, there must be a washing of some nature. Here, it's water. There must be an outward symbol of an inward need. Why do we practice baptism? The means of grace found in baptism, and why do we practice immersion? Because it is a symbol of the inward cleansing that sinners have received because of being washed in the blood of Christ. And again, Baptism was practiced in the Old Testament as well. This is not something novel, nor is it new. And I would remind you again that there are well over a million people here. We think that this occurred 
again at the foot of Mount Sinai. They had not left to travel to begin their long extended travels to, um, to Canaan, to the promised land. So they were in the middle of the desert. And water was the most important commodity in the middle of a desert. In fact, it's the most important commodity to us today. That's one of the reasons that Jesus proclaimed, I am the water of life. Now, look at verse 10. Also, Moses took... Look at verse 14. And he brought the bull for the sin offering. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering, and Moses killed it. Okay? Drop down, if you would, to verse 18. Then he brought the ram as the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the, lamb, of the ram, and Moses killed it. Look at verse 23. 22 and 23. And he brought the second ram, the ram of consecration. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. Before the congregation. Before the children. Moses took the life of the sacrifices. The bull for the sin offering, this goes back to chapter 1. Aaron and his, and his sons, Nadab and Abihu, laid their hands on the head of the bull, on the head of the two rams, and Moses proceeded after this to kill it, to cut its throat, to slit its throat. Now, if you know anything about slitting an animal's throat, these two have jugular veins, and when you slit the throat of an animal, that blood gushes out of the animal. So Moses, and we'll see, Aaron and his sons are literally lathered in blood. Now why would God do this? I had a man tell me many, many years ago as I was sharing my faith with him, he said, well, you know, I, I, I know that you need a savior, but I just can't, I just can't go, I just can't take the teaching of the blood of Christ. Well, I'm sorry, but you can't be saved. Look at verse 15. Moses killed it. He took the blood and put some of the, on the horns of the altar all around with his finger, and he purified the altar. The, not the water, the blood. Purify the altar. And he poured the blood at the base of the altar. You know how much blood is in a bull? A lot. A lot more than you and I. And he poured the blood at the base of the altar. That's why it's called altar. And he consecrated it to make atonement for it. Even the material in the tabernacle and later in the temples were not consecrated until blood 
had poured over them. Verse 16, he took all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, two kidneys with their fat, and Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull, its hide, its flesh, and its offal, he burned with fire outside the camp as the Lord had commanded Moses. So he does this, pours out the blood, he atoned for his sins. Moses was a sinner. He atoned for his sins, and he atoned for the sins of Aaron and his sons. They were cleansed, and because of this, the Lord was temporarily, not permanently, temporarily satisfied. Next slide. So that is the sin offering. Secondly, verse 18, he talks about the ram. We've read, read a portion of that. This is the burnt offering. And this, again, goes back to the previous chapters. And there it tells us that the burnt offering was for soothing aroma. After the sin offering was made, there had to be something to cover. Remember, now he killed a bull, uh, um, a bull and over time, the blood would, would raise a stench. Of the stench of sin, consecrating the priest for the service. And look at verse 22. Uh, verse 23, Moses killed it. He took some of its blood, put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Now, when I was a kid and I read this, and I asked my dad, and he kind of laughed. He said, son, there was a purpose to this, and the purpose is this. Why the right thumb? Why the right earlobe? And why the big toe? Because the Lord is teaching them that they are purified by the word, hearing, by the work, the thumb. They've been alive. They've been pulsing with blood just minutes before. Still warm. And put all these in the hands of Aaron, his sons. Then he presents them as a wave offering, a blessing representing the Holy Spirit, a consecration offering to the Lord. This was an ordination offering for a soothing aroma. A soothing aroma. You, you familiar with uh, aromatherapy? Ladies, Oh, I love candles. I love the smell of candles. Pumpkin spice. I love a pumpkin spice candle. I just love it. Aromatherapy. And this took place to remove the stench of the bacteria that caused the blood to solve. The children were there.
Next slide. So what remains here? Look at verse, what have I got? Verse 30. Look at verse 30. And Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar, and he sprinkled it on Aaron. Beep, 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 beep. Now, he had previously washed Aaron and his sons with water. He cleansed them up, and then he put blood on them. And he sprinkled it on his garments, on his sons, on the garments of his sons with him, and he consecrated Aaron, his garments, his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. If we were to go through this type of ceremony today, how many people do you think would show up? Not very many. And yet this is our heritage. This is our Old Testament. When he talks about a royal priesthood, this is part and parcel of what we've inherited. Now, thankfully, we don't need to do this. We will see this as we go through this particular message this morning. There's a total cleansing here. Nothing is left undone. The ear, the thumb, the toe, the sprinkling of the blood, the, 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 the slathering of the blood, the dousing of Aaron and his sons and their garments with the blood obviously represents what is coming in the person of, the, of Jesus Christ, that all priests require cleansing, washing, and forgiveness of sin from top to bottom. When Isaiah saw Yahweh high and lifted up in Isaiah chapter 6, there the Bible says that he said, I am a sinful man. And the Bible says they took uh, coals from the altar and placed them on the tongue of Isaiah because his tongue needed to be purified. The way people talk today, some of them need to be purified. All of us from time to time need to be purified. John's gospel, Jesus Speaking to his disciples, he purifies his people. There he references uh, what we've been talking about here in this particular passage. And Paul would write to a young pastor by the name of Titus, and he would say that there Jesus saved us by the washing of regeneration by his word and through his blood. We have been chosen as a royal priesthood. Sinclair Ferguson said, the Mosaic law reveals the way to live. Now, we don't live that way anymore, but it does reveal the way to live. All of this instruction given to Moses was given to show the Hebrew people that they can't live that way. It's like the Sermon on the Mount. All of the instruction given in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus gave to teach us we can't live that way without him. We can't. He goes on to say that 
the Mosaic law at the same time reveals our sin. Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 7, which we covered a couple of years ago. He says the Mosaic law as a whole gives us the graphic, and that's what we're seeing here, the graphic symbolic pictures of the costliness of forgiveness. It points not to itself, but beyond itself to Jesus Christ. We have been purified for service. Next slide. Now, we talked about Doug Nichols at the opening of the message this morning, how that relates to you and I how we are to use uh, uh, our access to God to understand that we've been purified, and we'll see that uh, later on as we go to Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, Because of Christ, we are prepared for service. Now, this takes us through, and I'm, again, not going to read all of this, but look, if you would, down at verse 31 of Leviticus chapter 8. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Bore the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and eat it there with the bread that is in the basket of consecration offerings, as I commanded you, saying, Aaron and his son shall eat. What remains of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn with fire, and you shall not go outside the door of the tabernacle of the meeting for seven days. Until the days of your consecration are ended. For seven days he shall consecrate you. As he has done this day, so the Lord has commanded to do, to make atonement for you. Therefore you stay at the door of the tabernacle of a meeting day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord so that you may not die. For so I have commanded you. So Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. And it came to pass. On the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And to the children of Israel you shall speak, saying, Take a kid of the goat as a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering, also a bull and a ram as peace offering to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil for today the Lord will appear to you. I'm not going to read all. Moses now sets Aaron to the side. He goes through this consecration. Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting. He came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. I would remind you that none of this happened when Jesus was crucified. No shouting. No falling. On faces. Why the pause? Why seven-day sabbatical? Well, now we're talking about service. To prepare our heart is necessary to contemplate what had taken place. One of the great opportunities we have as children of God is to meditate on the Word of God, to read a passage of Scripture. And this is probably, I, I don't know, some of you here, this may be the first time that some of you have ever heard this 
from the book of Leviticus. I don't want to read the book of Leviticus. It's, it's way too bloody or it's way too uh, uh, ceremonial. Let's just skip over that. To contemplate what had taken place. And we as New Testament believers need to contemplate what took place in the Old Testament. And why Jesus is the surety of our great high priest. We need to be ready to offer spiritual sacrifices at any time. And that's what Peter was describing in verse 5, which we read this morning in your hearing. There's always a time when our minds and our hearts have to consider the seriousness of being a child of God. Teach that to your children. We want our young people and our children here to become to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and we want them to persevere. So that when they're old and gray-haired like me, they're still here preaching or teaching the Word of God. Because of Christ our high priest, we have a royal priesthood that gives believers access to God, that gives, that purifies us from sins and prepares us for service. That's what Peter's... Why is all this detail here? We're going through a portion of the book of Ezekiel that is certainly not on the, the top ten list of most believers. A lot of part of the chapters in the book of Ezekiel. But they're important. Because Peter writes that our identity, who we are in Christ, leads to our destiny. We have access with God because we have been purified by Christ for service. That's what Peter means by a royal priesthood. Next slide. Let's go back now to 1 Peter. And then also you can put your finger in Hebrews 7. We'll go there in just a moment. But I want you to see... Why is, when we talk about these four things that we have mentioned, that Peter has mentioned, the chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, special people. Why is this important? Well, he tells us there in the end of verse 9. His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter, remember, was writing to pilgrims. He was writing to sojourners. He was writing to individuals that were fearful of the Roman Empire. He was writing to comfort them. And these are words of comfort. These are pastoral words. Remember when we started, Peter? I told you it's one of the most um, intimate pastoral letters in the New Testament. Believers exist so that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
This is the destiny of a royal priest. To make the glories of the king known. Not of ourself. The glories of our Christ known. Now there's a lot of discussion today about self-concept, about self-identity. Who am I? This is who I am. Let me tell the world who I am. I mean, it's all over. Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and, and Twitter or Twitter or whatever it is. It's all over. This is who I am. And so we just kind of broadcast that to the world. But it's not who believers are. How do we view ourselves? Let's dive into our, how we feel. Not how we think, but how we feel. But who we are in Christ is not defined in terms of who we are in our self-identity. The Bible defines us in terms of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The relationship that God creates within us and his purposes for us. We mentioned this two or three weeks ago. God has a purpose. God is not arbitrary, nor is it random in anything. There's a purpose for everything. A Christian cannot talk about our identity without talking about the action of God in us. What is God doing in you to make you like Christ? Not to make you famous, not to bring, make you healthy, not to bring, make you wealthy. He is working in you to make you wise. Our identity without talking about the action of Christ in us, the relationship of God with us, and the purposes of God for us. Piper said, the biblical understanding of human self-identity is radically God-centered. Man was not created to promote himself. He was created so that we might proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness. Praise God. Next slide. <clears throat> God made us so that we might proclaim these truths. The excellency of his freedom in choosing us. We're a chosen generation. The excellency of his grace and mercy in pitying us, we have a pardon. And the excellencies of his worth and purity in making us holy. Why did he do this? Because Jesus is not only our great high priest, but he is the sacrifice. Satisfying God the Father. Turn with me to Hebrews 7. So we've seen the Arianic or the, the consecration of the Arianic priesthood, the Le Levitical priesthood in, in uh, Leviticus 8 and 9. And it's found scattered abroad in the Old Testament. So let's look at some of the attributes of Christ that make his priesthood different. And why it's important to remember that he as our great high priest was also the sacrifice. Look at verse 25 of chapter 7. 
Now look at 23. Also there were many priests, because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. God is unchangeable. Immutable, unchangeable. He's not going to think differently about man than he thought about Adam and Eve. He won't think differently about us today than he thought about Adam and Eve. This was one of the great comforts of knowing God. I have no fear when I stand before him and I say I plead the blood of Jesus Christ that he's going to reject me, because, not because of who I am, but because he won't reject his son. But if you're here this morning and you have rejected Christ, I'm here as the scripture says, he will judge you. Period. Because he's unchangeable. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to him, to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus, if you're listening, say amen. amen. If you're listening, say amen. amen. Jesus has no successors. None. No one will follow in Christ's shoes. There are not going to be any new books of the Bible that are discovered that change the entire outlook contained in the Word of God. Jesus has no successors. There is salvation given in no other name but Jesus. He is able, as we've read here, to save completely. The King James and the, uh, the New King James uses the word uttermost, and it means literally uh, to suggest either an open-ended forever or completely in every domain. When Jesus died for sins and sinners repent and in faith come to him, all sins. Past, present, future. Forgiven. He's able to save us not only for today, or this year, or next year, or for a lifetime. He is unchangeable. He saves forever. We cannot lose what we did not gain. Christ gained it for us. He is able to save in absolutely every domain. Nothing is left undone. He is the sacrifice. The God-man. The scars of wounds still in his hand and in his side. Sets today at the right hand of God the Father. And the scripture tells us that he makes implicit intercession forever and ever and ever and ever. God be blessed. Amen. Now I want you to turn with me to Luke 13 just for a moment because this word, it's good sometimes to get wrapped around words, but that word uttermost, 
It's only found one other time in the Bible. It's found in Luke 13. Go, turn with me to Luke 13. <clears throat> Here in Hebrews, it talks about the blessings that we have in a positive light. In the book of Luke, it talks about it from negative light. The word is used negatively in Luke. And look, at, if you would, at Luke 13. <clears throat> Verse, two, nine, uh, verse 10, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and in no way could raise herself up. In other words, her infirmity was so great, there was no hope for her. Sometime. The old King James says, no wise. That's the word uttermost. There was no hope for this woman had Jesus not passed by. Sometimes we may desire to live a long life, and everyone desires to live a long life. But here's the thing. There comes a point when the doctors say, we can't do anymore. In no wise, in no way can we do anymore. But in Hebrews, Christ saves absolutely. This young man, 23 years of age, cancer covers his body. And we need to pray, obviously, that the Lord choose to heal him according to his will. But if not, who will you worship? The God-man makes implicit intercession for us forever and ever. Next slide. Charles Wesley wrote a great hymn. We'll see this as I close out the message this morning, but this is uh, some of the verses from his hymn, Arise, My Soul, Arise. It's not in our hymnal, but it's a great hymn. And he wrote these words about 300 years ago. Arise, my soul, arise, shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my half appears. Before the throne my surety stands, my name is written on his hands. He ever lives above for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love, his precious blood to plead. His blood was shed for all our race and sprinkles now the throne of grace. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly speak for me. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry, nor let the ransomed sinner die. The father hears him pray, his dear anointed one, he cannot turn away. The presence of his son, his spirit answers to the blood and tells me I'm born of God. To God I'm reconciled. His parting voice I hear. He owns me. He owns you.
He owns me for his child. I can no longer fear. With confidence I draw nigh and Father, Abba, Father, cry. Next slide, brother. The second thing I want you to see, we're going to close this in just a moment, but I'm going to finish this this morning. Look, at, if you would, at verse 26. Such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Jesus is defined in terms that no living man, past, present, or future, will ever be defined in. Holy, pureless, uh, blameless rather, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. You see, we don't need a, a priest that's morally compromised. We don't need a priest that has good days and bad days, and we all do. Good hair days, bad hair days. Don't need them. We need a priest who's as perfect as God, and the God-man is. He's holy. He's harmless. You know why the writer used that word? Because he takes away God's, the Father's wrath. He's harmless. He's pure. He's undefiled. Impeccable is the word used to define the sinless nature of Jesus Christ. We are not set apart from sinners. We are sinners. We are very real sinners. We are always worse sinners than we can ever imagine. And Jesus is a greater Savior than we can ever imagine. He is exalted above the heavens and we are not. Above the heavens. How do you do that? What a superlative. Exalted above the heavens. In third, verse 27 who does not need daily as those high priests to offer sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. That came after the law, which is Jesus. He is a sacrifice, and because he is, he just has no need to offer sacrifices day by day because he offered himself once, once for all, once for all. When he speaks of us being a royal priesthood, how often do we offer sacrifices? I'm not talking about monetarily. I'm talking about personal sacrifice in the vein of Peter himself, in the vein of Doug Nichols or others, how often we do we do that? Next slide. In Hebrews 9, we are reminded that the blood of bulls and of goats could never take away sin. They had no moral significance. A, a, a bull doesn't know whether you're killing it for sacrifice or whether you're killing it for food. It has no idea. None. When the knife is held at its throat, do they think about the moral significance of redemption? Absolutely not. 
There's a symbolic significance to what took place in the Old Testament, but there's no moral equivalence. And so it was done again and again and again. It is estimated that tens of millions of animals were slaughtered under the the Levitical system. It reminds us that sin requires death. The book of Ezekiel, it talks about sin, talks about these types of things, talks about sacrifice, going back to sacrifice. Why? Because of this. To remind us of Jesus Christ. So, God, so Jesus submits himself to God the Father. He becomes the sacrifice. His flesh is the veil that's torn apart in the temple and torn apart literally on Calvary and his body, the temple that would later be taken from the cross and wrapped and placed in a tomb and there buried and resurrected again three days later as the propitiation, the satisfaction of our sins to God the Father. This is the glory of the gospel. Appoints the son who has been perfected forever. What a Savior. This perfection has to do with His priesthood. And He was made perfect precisely because He did die and rose on our behalf and now is our perfect mediator. He encourages us because He alone is uniquely qualified. He saves us completely because he is holy and undefiled. And he now ministers. He does the very same thing Peter's talking about. He now ministers before the throne of God above. Next slide. We'll close with this this morning. We sing this chorus. And you will notice this chorus written by, I believe, Christine Getty. Uh, you will notice a very similar vein that she wrote about uh, that follows Charles Wesley's hymn, Arise My Soul. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hand, My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace, one with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood, my life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior, 
and my God with Christ my Savior and my God. Have you honored the cornerstone? Have you thanked him that you, he has called you believers into a holy and royal priesthood? Are you exercising your access to God? Are you thanking him for your purification in the blood of Jesus Christ? And are you serving him? These things are given so because he has brought us from darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the word. We thank you for these passages of scripture. We thank you for Peter, disciple of yours that was far too quick to speak. But then, Lord, as he aged and has, as he matured, your spirit gave him insight into many a distinction that we have today. And remind us, Lord, that our identity is in Christ Jesus. We do pray for those that may be lost in our congregation this morning. They have no access to God. They have no purification from their sins. And all of their service is but sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. So our prayer is this morning, Father, that by the Spirit of God that you would move in their heart and their soul to bring them to repentance and then in faith, gift them to call out to Jesus because he alone can save and he saves to the uttermost. So, Father, we pray that you would be with lost sinners this morning. We pray that you would be with us as believers today. Forgive us how often we take the royal priesthood for granted. We do pray, Father, that you'd move in hearts and lives and souls of your people this morning. Have your sweet will, your divine way. In Jesus' name we make this prayer. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn. And as we sing this hymn, we will give you an opportunity to respond to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ who loved you, gave himself for you, and desires that you follow him in repentance and faith. And as we sing, if you're here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior or if you have doubts about your salvation, we're here to help you with an open Bible. We, we will be glad to go to a, a private prayer room and there with an open Bible leads you to a a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can leave here this morning with access to God, purification from your sins, and an opportunity for service. If you're here today as a child of God and the Lord may be leading you into the fellowship of this church, either by statement of faith or, or a transfer of letter, perhaps you need to follow the Lord and believers' baptism, would you make uh, that decision today as well? It's a command of obedience that you follow Him. As a child of God, I, when putting these notes together, often had to confess that uh, I forget these things so often. This do in remembrance of me. This is why we do these, because we forget. We're forgetting people. And so, Lord, give us grace to confess that before him and to live out the priesthood that he's provided for us. What number, Brother Mike? 